At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There should be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the audio version of AB Live. This one, episode 64. Raw, uncensored, and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. We were joined at the Virtual Alexandria by Jake Cobrin visionary artist and high magic practitioner. He discussed the intersection of art and magic that can engineer change socially, culturally, and within the individual. From tarot to thelema, from psychedelics to chaos magic, we threaded a gnosis needle to a place where the esoterica is not just a metaphysical practice, but a practical yet transformative tool of cosmic liberation and inner peace. As a bonus for subscribers, I'll include an interview with Jake's mentor, Lawrence Caruana, on his book, Sacred Codes where he gets deep into visionary art, psychedelics, and a whole lot of Gnostic ascent through the spheres. The perfect complement to this podcast. Thank you so much for those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. I hope I have served you well. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say, in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world, and Gnostic times. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or some of the guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Don't forget my voiceover availability. Whether it's an audiobook, commercial, podcast, video game, documentary, or whatever, I can bring stellar results to your project with down-to-earth professionalism. Some have asked if I only do uh, cult content, and the answer is no. I've done several podcast intros, organic vitamin and music video spots, and meditation course narrations. Also keep in mind that through the holidays, 
you'll get a free copy of 10 snackable meditations if you subscribe to AB Prime or a medium tier Patreon level. The Finding Hermes program is discounted more than 40% and the annual AB Prime membership is now 20% off. Damning your soul but liberating your spirit has never been this cheap, my beloved true seekers. Let us to our latest AB Live. And never forget to write your own gospel and live your own myth. Anyone else? Yes. Sir, what if the writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change, they don't have any epiphanies, they struggle and are frustrated and nothing is resolved, more reflection of the real world? The real world? Yes, sir. The real fucking world. First of all, you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll bore your audience to tears. Secondly, nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide, war, corruption. Every fucking day, somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save somebody else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere takes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love. People lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches a mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Somebody else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, then you, my friend, don't know crap about life. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? I don't have any use for it. I don't have any bloody use for it. Okay, thanks. And we are live. Welcome, everybody, to the desert of the real. We are live. Yes, this is AB Live, I believe, episode 64, in the middle of the holidays, or as I often say, my Gnostic greeting in the holidays is Merry Matrix and a Hylic New Year. So I hope everybody's making it through the holidays. And as I see already, everybody's starting to, to plow into the uh, chat room uh, with the men who still have nipples and everybody else. And I think we should, we're going to have a great show tonight. With us, we have visionary artist and occultist James, I'm sorry, James, that was yesterday. Sorry. Jake Coburn. How are you, Jake? And thanks for coming on. I'm fantastic, Miguel. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Pleasure is all ours. I looked at all your work. I've been listening to some of your podcasts. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. And I think your message is more important than ever. And with us, too, we've got the moon dog, uh, James Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Glad I acquired another name tonight. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually, it's James Taylor Vance. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it might have to fool the archons. You need those passwords to get through the archons, and in ancient oh, times, yeah. uh, the shamans would dress as women to uh, to fool the evil spirits while they were going on their spiritual walkabout. So yeah, they're copying Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> Well, knowing Monty Python, I'm sure they probably knew that because when you watch their movies, they really had a great grasp on history and para para history and a lot of good stuff. I mean, uh, like in the life of Brian, when suddenly the uh, alien spaceship shows up, I was like, man, they are predicting conspiracy culture <laughs> in the where, where Christianity and science fiction and uh, social unrest and all that other stuff. So. Awesome. Well, good to see everybody here. As always, if you have questions for Jake on any of the topics we will cover, Jake is uh, versed in so many topics, including Thelema, Tarot, Chaos Magic, anything like that is specifically uh, why I like his work is he really applies it to these very uh, changing times when everything is off the table, but everything is on the table at the same time. So, uh, even us in the esoterica 
uh, need to pivot and find new avenues. So there's a lot of opportunity despite the seemingly bone crunching stress and unknown factors. Uh, so if you have any, oh yeah, I didn't even, uh, I didn't finish my statement. If you have any questions for Jake, please, uh, do it on the chat, lots of question marks, or do it in all caps, or if you have a super chat, uh, Vance or I will put you at the top. So I have a few announcements, but first I wanna get to Jake. Uh, Jake, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what I was, uh, one of the many things I was excited about you is that you went to uh, the school of uh, my friend and uh, mm -hmm. and a uh, a guest that keeps coming by and somebody who understands Gnosticism probably better than most scholars, and that's uh, Lawrence Caruana. Tell us about that and also your journey into these uh, heterodox arts. Sure. Yeah, Lawrence is definitely a friend of mine and. Uh exceptional scholar on Gnosticism as well as a fantastic artist. And I had the privilege to go and study in Vienna with him as well as a couple of other artists, um, Daniel Morante and Autumn Sky Morrison in 2015. It was um, kind of like a dream come true. It was just a total immersion into art, especially this kind of like weird art that I make, which is very niche in a certain way but it, it was fantastic to be in a culture there where everybody was kind of motivated and inspired about the same things and um, that school was really influenced by the artist Ernst Fuchs who is pretty much the great godfather of visionary art <clears throat> an exceptional kind of um, esotericist in his own way I guess you could call him almost an occultist but he was uh, very influenced by Gnostic Christianity as well as the sort of different spiritual currents that existed that he had access to and was also an er an early experimenter with psychedelics and things like that and infused that in his work so i owe a um a great deal to his work as and lawrence was his assistant mm -hmm. so he created the vienna academy of visionary art to kind of pass on sort of ernst fuchs teachings um and i guess i consider myself in a sense part of that lineage carrying that forth but um yeah i was traveling extensively for about six years and that included me going to europe to visit some psytrance festivals that i had the opportunity to present my art at um, primarily azora festival in hungary and boom festival in portugal and then afterwards i went to vienna to visit some friends that were already studying there and i decided to stay because it was such a uh, such a fantastic experience to be around these incredible inspired artists very cool very cool and uh when uh when did you get uh interested in the occult in general beyond uh studying visionary art um i started reading sort of esoteric and occult literature when i was in high school i think that a lot of my interest into the occult actually came through musical influences so the band tool had a big influence on me and opening doors into you know occult ideas and things like that you know the drummer danny carey was really inspired by the ideas of alistair crowley mm -hmm. and so i started reading some of crowley's books although i didn't understand really any of it when i was a teenager but it got me started into some of the exercises and techniques i started exploring meditation as described in the first two books of liber aba and through that i i kind of found a lot of benefit through uh, meditation which led me into a more kind of buddhist path and my father is a, a psychotherapist and he's um, very influenced by buddhist ideas and concepts and he meditates and things like that and so I started going with him to meditation groups where I would see um, Jack Hornfield, the exceptional Buddhist teacher and author. Um, and so I started going to Buddhist meditation groups when I was very young, about 16, 17. And uh, that led me really through a lot of different kinds of uh, explorations and paths, including a lot of use of psychedelics and plant medicines, both traditionally and uh, clandestine in clandestine forms. I've been to Peru and done traditional Chipibo ayahuasca dietas and things like that um, and used psychedelics in traditional contexts uh, several times, but also did a lot of experimentation uh, just on my own. And that was very formative for me. And um, 
when I was, uh, well, about three or four years ago, I had the opportunity to go and study at the school in Guatemala called Las Pyramides del Ca, which is a sort of uh, mystery school that teaches sort of a hermetic inspired magic. It's based primarily on the Kabbalistic tree of life. And it's very similar, I think, to what you might find um, like Edward Casey kind of stuff or similar mm -hmm. to sort of like Golden Dawn style things. And they taught lucid dreaming, astral travel, uh, tarot, the, the fundamentals of Kabbalah, stuff like that. So that really awakened and reinvigorated my interest in the Western esoteric tradition. And they had a, an extraordinary library there uh, with a lot of books by Aleister Crowley and things like that. So I started studying the Book of Thoth and things like that. And I, I mean, I find myself really fascinated by the work of Aleister Crowley because it's like a puzzle that needs to be solved. You know, it's like a game almost to try to decipher and to kind of uh, conjure an understanding of, of these very dense and complicated texts. So when I read the Book of Thoth many years ago, you know, five, six years ago, I didn't really understand a lot of, of, of it, but it really sent me down a rabbit hole to try to find a better understanding of what he was talking about, which really led me to um, where I am now in my practice and into my explorations. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. And you are now in uh, Bali. What are you doing there besides uh, summoning the moon child or the second, or the <laughs> sun child, I guess? If you're over there, hopefully it's the sun child. I mean, I would love to summon the moon child a la, you know, Jack Parsons, like, uh, <laughs> like that would be fun. But um, yeah, just Bali is an extraordinary place to live. It's kind of a liminal space given the kind of, um, you know, the matricy of perspectives here is very different than in the West because they have actually a magical culture uh, where, you know, spirit evocation and stuff like that is practiced as part of their kind of religious customs, uh, their animistic culture, and they never really had the separation occur between magic and religion as it has been in, in the West and in many places in the world. So it's just an extraordinary place to be, uh, and it's very beautiful, and it's it's been really good to me. I'm incredibly grateful to this island, and it's also very inspiring. As an artist, there's exceptional art everywhere, these, these incredible temples and sculptures, and so I traveled here for the first time about five years ago and then spent six months here and I've lived here for about three years permanently now. And I just fell in love when I first came here. It's such an inspiring place to be. Very cool. Yeah, you've been on a you've been on a great adventure, that's for sure. Uh before my next question, I hope everybody's noticed this shirt. This is from the merch store it's uh, the new not today archons it's a great gift and i swear to you this is as good as an abraxas gem as an authentic abraxas gem and warding off demons uh, archons uh, your mother-in-law it doesn't matter this shirt is awesome and it works very well so check it out on the merch store i thought i'd wear it today to protect us from all that is out there too yeah. so uh, Free mission to the Pleroma, too. <laughs> no, 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 no. 20% off, and you got to put the code. No, no. Oh, okay. Freebies for that one. Yeah, yeah. We'll give you the password if you buy a shirt. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, get to uh, what I, I ask all our guests, Jake, especially in these times. Uh, what would you say is the state of magic today? And I know you've addressed it. You are trying to not overhaul it, but optimize it and uh, find a way that it works today. I mean, it's um, especially with all the strain strangeness that happened in 2020. Uh, what would you say? I mean, I have to laugh because some of the stuff is wonderful out there in social media and new religions and all that. But some of them is wacky, as you probably know. People have been trying to cancel Aleister Crowley for a while. For sure, yeah. Uh, th there was an argument the other day about canceling Zeus, you know, uh, or yeah. how uh, some things are closed practice or how the worshipers of Odin are failures because they converted to Christianity. It's it's pretty wacky, and I hate to yeah. say it, but I kind of love it. But uh, for sure. what would you say is the, the state of uh, magic today? here in 2021 moving to 2022 i mean there's definitely some wacky stuff there are people that you know advocate for like demonic rights you know people that 
do do evocation and, and conjure demons and like bind them. They're like, oh, that's cruel. Demons have rights too. You shouldn't do that. You know, that's, Eat up for demons. <laughs> yeah. So like that, there's definitely some some weird stuff going on. Um, I would say that the state of magic right now is is I would say that it's probably um, there's probably the largest community of magical practitioners that's ever existed at any time um, because of the access to information that the internet has given us. I think it said in the introduction, something like the virtual library of Alexandria, but we are kind of in that, you know, like uh, if you look at something like the golden Dawn or the AA, there were a handful of people in those times that were in those groups. I think there were at the most like 12 people at one time in the AA. Mm. And now there are thousands of people who are practicing philemic magic. So the access to the information has grown tremendously due to the internet and um, the sharing of PDFs and things like that. And, you know, some of that was, was due to the efforts of groups like the Temple of Psychic Youth, which created a, a, a library of these texts and preserved them and shared them and distributed them and things like that. But I really think that the, um, yeah, the, the access to information is unparalleled right now. Uh, is all that information good? Well, some of it's tremendous, but there's a lot of sort of disinformation out there as well. I'm personally of the opinion that if something works for somebody, it's it's fantastic and they should do it. I'm not really a hardcore traditionalist when it comes to magical techniques and practices. I think that it's up to each person to sort of experiment and to discover what works for them. And if something works for them, they should do it. Uh, even if it's not technically correct based on some kind of tradition. And I'm not necessarily in favor of fully um, adopting tradition just for the sake of it being around for a long time. I think that there have been a lot of different iterations in our understandings of the universe and of magic since a lot of the traditional systems of magic were kind of formulated. Um, and that's why I do appreciate chaos magic and some of the more contemporary forms of magic because they enable you to uh, utilize these kinds of upgraded understandings of the universe and, and how things maybe work, which we don't really know. But as our perspectives and understandings shift, this also changes our orientation to to magic and things like that. Yeah, well said. I think I was listening to your podcast uh and uh, you had a solo show where you talked about magic and you're reading off Crowley. And uh, mm -hmm. it was really great because we forget how cogent and clear and scientific Crowley was said. He was saying, test the waters, don't be fooled, da-da-da-da-da. In fact, I, <clears throat> I put a quote, and I think you got it from Dion Fortune, or it's based on, <clears throat> excuse me, or Dion Fortune has her own version that's very similar. Right. But uh, you would say this is... Uh, magic and i like how you i don't know if it's you who said it but you say uh the will is like the dharma because many people still struggle with the will as much as they struggle with magic but uh yeah tell the audience what is magic and how can magic work in this 21st century i think that magic is the conscious endeavor to create change within your reality and it's basically as simple as that. Like Alistair Crowley said, the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. I think that there's a lot of kind of um, people mix up mysticism and magic quite a lot. And Crowley, in a way, added to that confusion by combining those two things into his system. But magic is pretty strictly use, using conscious willpower to affect a change within your reality uh, to cause things to manifest or to alter in some kind of way and if it's not a conscious willed action it's not really magic you know people say like well i think magic just kind of happens and yes that's true there is you know mystery and magic all around us but in my opinion it's not really magic unless there's the conscious intent to do magic or to create some kind of change and uh yeah um yeah dion fortune said that magic was the science and art in, in causing change to occur in our consciousness in conformity with will. And I do think that that is how magic works. My understanding or, or theory of magic is influenced by quantum physics, for example, um, in which there are infinite sort of parallel universes occurring 
at once and you could see it as like a gem that with many facets and we can look through one of those facets of the gem and it it's one possible um idea of how magic works that what happens is that you are actually changing your perspective to a sort of different timeline or something like that you're selecting one of those parallel universes to inhabit um through the use of ritual and through willpower and some sort of conscious intent i think that the traditional understanding of magic is heavily spirit-based which is found all over the world including here in bali that there is some kind of magical agent whether that's a uh, spirit or a demon or an angel or a god or a goddess that uh, you summon and that you make appeals to perhaps you bind them or something like that and then you send them off to do uh, your bidding for you and this is how magic traditionally has been practiced since at least ancient greece or ancient egypt and is found in all cultures throughout the world, including um, in shamanistic cultures in, in South America, in Southeast Asia, here in Bali, as well as in Europe uh, and, and sort of European-influenced countries. Um, and how can magic be used today? I mean, it's really open to any person's will. Basically, you can use magic to create any kind of desired outcome that you would want i don't think that you can use magic to manifest anything like it would be um you know it, it would be unrealistic for me to do some kind of ritual and to be able to fly today but i do think that under certain conditions you can use ritual to at least create the perception of manifesting something whether or not that's actually occurring and i try to remain agnostic as to what's really happening because i don't really know but i've had many synchronistic and interesting experiences that suggest that through the use of ritual practices you can seem to manifest things and create changes in your realities and uh, i just wanted to touch on also the the idea of will being uh co-equal with dharma that's that's a matter of debate uh, and there's a lot of debate within the kind of Thelemic community if if Thelema is the same thing as Dharma. But the idea of Thelema or the true will is basically that we have a kind of purpose here, that we have a sort of uh, fundamental, essential role that we play within the unfolding of the universe, like the Tao, I think, is, is perhaps more synonymous with it than the Dharma, in that um, if everybody was sort of doing that, that the universe would kind of operate perfectly sort of like a clock or, you know, like the solar system uh, rather than having so much kind of conflict, which is a nice idea, whether it's true or not. Yeah. Well said, uh, Jake. Uh, and I think the issue might be most people want to, well, most people don't even know what their true will is first. I mean, I think right. there was one passage I read by Crowley and I think is my favorite of all of his passages. He said, the most important thing we're doing as magicians, the most important thing we can do is make contact with our holy guardian angel. In other words, right. our authentic self, our higher self, the the God that knows what our purpose is. And I think uh, that's an issue. I mean, how do you find what your true will is? Uh, well, there is the system that Aleister Crowley created within the AA, which does lead people on an initiatory journey through rigorous exercises and ritual practices that would uh, basically create a, a vessel through the purification of your consciousness to be able to receive higher insights and to eventually have the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, which one interpretation, my interpretation of it, is uh, the merging with the sort of higher intangible forces that uh, is essentially inseparable from what you might call God or the monad or, or the divine. And it, we are that already. So the, the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel is sort of a um, purification of our perception to see things how it actually is and sort of to shift to perceiving our lives and reality from a higher perspective. And uh, the idea is that through having that experience, you would then 
receive clarity onto what your your purpose is because you are no longer functioning from the lower desires of the ego, but rather you are operating with awareness of the higher forces that comprise the universe. And uh, I think that there's a lot of different names for that experience, um, just like awakening or enlightenment is perhaps something similar. And there are many, many different ways to sort of achieve that. I think that you can achieve Gnostic experiences not only through um, ritual magic or following some kind of already traversed path like the AA or Golden Dawn system, um, but you can also endeavor to reach these states of awareness through your intent, perhaps even utilizing some sort of like chaos magic techniques or things like that, um, as well as the use of psychedelics in, in the right way, uh, meditation, prolonged meditation, fasting, prayer, things like that. It's something that you aspire to and it's, and it's never ending. I don't think that it's, you know, you don't just kind of have that experience and then it's, it's done. You're, you're cooked, you're finished. It's like, we might be able to dip. Um, we might be able to ascend to those kind of higher conscious awareness and then descend again and then ascend again and descend again, but having a sort of regular ritual practice as well as setting the intention for such an experience, I think allows people to reach that experience and have those levels of awareness. Yeah, indeed. Well said. And <clears throat> have you ever wondered what would Crowley think of today if he was still alive? I mean, sometimes I think uh, like one of my heroes, Philip K. Dick, would be like, I told you guys, surveillance state, digital world, meta, all the things that's happening today, who would be like, nobody listened to me. How do you think Crowley would uh, would act or see the world right now? Well, he would have an easier time. I think that uh, the kind of bad press that Crowley got for his behavior during the Victorian age wouldn't really be so shocking nowadays. He could live in a place like Berlin and, you know, like have all the gay sex and take as many drugs as he wants. And like no one would really think that that's so strange because that's kind of just like what people do nowadays. Yeah, he um, couldn't so hang he, with Keith Richards. Or oh, he would for sure. Yeah, he would be seen as less sort of like uh, heretical, I suppose in this in this day and age um i don't know what he would think of the state of the world i think he'd be disappointed to see things like scientology and wicca dramatically surpass his thelema and he um, influenced both That's he did influence he did both. influence both so he can't <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're both strangely enough sort of continuations of the current <clears throat> given um you know jack parson's influence on l ron hubbard and um, Crowley's influence on, on Gardner. But uh, yeah, I don't know. He'd probably spend a lot of time uh, like arguing with people on Twitter is, is my, <laughs> perhaps. <Trolling them. laughs> just, yeah, he was a bit of a he was a bit of a troll in a certain certain kind of way. He had a, a conflictual personality. So yeah, hard, hard yeah. to say what you think of the, of this this day and age. And, oh, you uh, might not have cared. You might have said, look, I'm going to go. <clears throat> I need to find a mountain to climb. I'm going to travel and do some magical rituals and visit all the people. And But you're right. He probably would be disappointed. <clears throat> he wanted a brotherhood of Thelema. He really wanted a more unified world where people had access to higher consciousness. He believed that Thelema was the religion of the future and that it would surpass Christianity and the dominant religions that exist on the planet today. And um, he foresaw that happening very quickly within 100 years. And since the reception of the Book of the Law, it's just not the case. I think it's if you want to see the OTO as like the main sort of governing body of Thelema, there are 4,000 participants which is dramatically less than the number of uh, people that practice Wicca. And I think it's less than people that practice Scientology as well, as well as you know, many other things that have gained in popularity. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, I didn't know uh, Salima was that small. I always thought it was bigger. And I mean, you can't. You can't argue with Wicca because that allowed gave a lot of women liberation and avenues mm-hmm. for equality and empowerment. So Wicca was uh, a good movement for the latter part of the 20th century and now, and it's one of the fastest growing religions there is. Obviously, Scientology is dying because it just shot itself in the foot over and over again, and the internet took care of it. But right. they got plenty of money invested in Hollywood; they'll be fine. Yeah, I'm not advocating for Scientology. I hope it doesn't come off that way. I'm just using it as a comparison to see Mm -hmm. um, sort of a, you know, Hubbard was successful in a certain way with what Crowley was endeavoring to do. And he was very influenced by Crowley. So it's it's kind of an interesting uh, parallel there. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. Well, awesome. Um, before I wanted to get to your, well, let's do questions and I want to get to show the audience your incredible artwork, but let me make another announcement for you. I need to share this screen real quick. Um, there, where is it? Share the screen, share screen. All right. Well, there's Jake's. I will have uh, some more links, but here's Jake's homepage, and I'll have these in the show notes. Jake Cobran, and Jake will have some announcements too. But there is a new app called Wisdom App, and I'm not one who tries these things too much because I'm, I feel if I join another, if I download another app or join another social media like Telegram, my head's going to explode. I'll just die because it's so much out there. But uh, I really thought I liked Wisdom because uh, what it is, it's a, um, it's a mentorship marketplace uh, and it's sort of a mix between Clubhouse and the uh, platform Masterclass. In other words, you can go and uh, listen to talks of uh, exemplars in a lot of uh, in a lot of uh, mediums like mental health, finance, career, well-being, fitness. It's a very holistic app where you can even join chats with uh, influencers and experts in spirituality, yoga, and do Q and A's. And people, all these individuals, holistic leaders, uh, they give speeches and so forth on 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 the topic so i actually gave it a chance i've uh, downloaded right now i think it's only available on iphone because it is a startup and uh but i'm gonna give it a shout a chance because of course i just signed up and i'm the only guy there doing gnosticism so uh i wanted to to invite you guys to join if you want and to do that actually um I'm going to do uh, next Monday at uh, 8 p.m. Central. I'm going to have a little chat on Wisdom app. So join me if you can. I'll remind everybody through social media and so forth. Join me at the Wisdom app. It's uh, at Miguel Connor. I'm going to give a little speech on what I think from a Gnostic perspective will happen in 2022. But if you're there, I'd love to chat with you in a room, in our, in my room, and uh, take your questions on Gnosticism. So check out Wisdom app and uh, let me know what you think. Again, good place to meet, heal talk about therapy yoga meditation anything you want financial advice and in this day and age we need as much help as we can so uh, i do like uh, the whole wisdom app thing and uh vance any questions or from you or comments or from the chat room right now oh we just got one from uh facebook uh I'm not sure how to pronounce it, so forgive me if I screw it up. Uh, Higher Lighter said, what did Jung think of Crowley? What did he say? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I'm not aware if Crowley and Jung were – I mean, obviously, Crowley was aware of Jung's work. I don't know if, if Jung was aware of Crowley, though. I mean, yeah. they – I know that you know Crowley really um, sort of – teetered between a psychological perspective on magic and a, and a spirit-based perspective on magic. And I think that he would have appreciated Jung's sort of um, pairing of psychology with archetypal understandings and mythologies, because I think Crowley actually had 
in many ways a similar perspective on that mm. matter. Um, so there were certain ideas that they held that were sympathetic for sure. Yeah, I know uh, for sure Crowley knew of Jung and he said, uh, oh, they're doing nothing. Jung's doing nothing new. He's just repackaged the ancient mysteries. He's just added a science, which Crowley was doing too, adding a, <laughs> trying to <laughs> make it know. more scientific, logical. Uh, mm -hmm. But he was saying the idea of going into the unconscious was going the mystery religions, going the shamans to the underworld. So he was, a, yeah, uh, Crowley was definitely appreciative of uh, of Jung and what he was doing or mildly amused. I mean, he definitely had better things than what he said about theosophy and other movements at the time. Yeah. He didn't mince words. <laughs> no. But I don't think I've ever heard Jung really talk about uh, Crowley or any of that, no either so anything else fans from you or the audience uh, my people are kind of uh, in a thoughtful mood I think because there aren't many questions that was the only one I've seen unless I missed one there is a thoughtful mood people slamming Scientology and insulting this and insulting oh that. well that's not a question but here's another interesting <laughs> thing um, uh, and uh, I'm going to turn this into a question our friend Black Eagle out there who has been uh, uh, less than thrilled with a lot of things that have been going on but he had an interesting thought which is would we have people like Weinstein Epstein and other depraved individuals or whatever if you want to call them that without Crowley's influence did Crowley spawn um, kind of kind of a um, a, uh, a subterranean uh, spirit into the world do you think or do you think that would happen anyway if you want to see the world that way then that's your like reality tunnel and I can't really argue with that i mean maybe if somebody holds that perspective that's real for them personally i don't really see a lot of correlation between those things um i think that you know i, I think like crowley his association with sort of what people might call like the illuminati or something gets really blown out of proportion usually it comes from people that don't really have a very clear understanding of what he actually taught and what his magical system involved and even the um, idea of him being like a black magician is is generally inaccurate because um, his system was mostly one of mystical attainment to ascend one's consciousness to higher levels of of divinity and to basically uh, yeah it's a it's a form of theurgy in a way and so um, I don't think that there are a lot of accurate correlations. Uh, with sort of those types of people, and well, how about his Crowley? personal his personal life? Though I mean, I agree that uh, you know if you read actually what he wrote, um, you know he was developing a you know a system and a society and so forth. But he his the theatrics, his personal you know the way he ran his personal life, you know the drug use, the depravity. I mean, he called himself you know the beast and all that stuff. So he tried to project this kind of, you know, ooky spooky um, uh, persona on the world. And maybe that inspired some other people to copy him or whatever. What do you I think, think about it's that? Power. I think it always comes down to power. That's what corrupts people. Like Weinstein and all those people. And it's their own trying to be God. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't think I personally don't think they were like, oh look, Crowley's does this. I think I'll do that. You know, nah, yeah, he's on the Sergeant Pepper's album cover. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Crowley obviously had a huge influence on sort of 1960s and 70s rock and roll culture, and you know, people like Jimmy Page and David Bowie were really inspired by him, as well as John Lennon, I think, and some other people. But uh, yeah, I've not heard of you know, these, these types of people being influenced by them, it's possible, you know, I, I won't claim any expertise on that matter because I've never really looked into it or, or read about it or anything like that. Yeah, fair enough. Well, thanks. Um, don't see any other questions so we can move on, I suppose. All right. Yeah. Cause I want to show Jake's incredible art, but first uh, Jake, uh, how would you define visionary art? I, I kind of know, and I look at your arc, and I know exactly the why it's visionary, but for the audience before we get into your art. 
you could call visionary art esoteric or occult art, and I think that that's just as accurate a word for it. But generally, visionary art is art that is directly inspired and influenced through uh, a personal mystical experience that that artist had. So that could be a psychedelic experience. It could be some kind of spontaneous Gnostic experience. So somebody like William Blake uh, was mm. a visionary artist. But I would also uh, classify like Austin Osmond Spare as a visionary artist because he was using ritual and, and having um, sort of mystical experiences and, and making spirit contact and allowing that to inspire his work. So it's distinct from surrealism in the sense that visionary art generally is – uh, portraying the intangible, the the mystical, the magical, the the spiritual realms and dimensions of reality, and it's through the the firsthand kind of experience of the artist and deriving inspiration from those experiences, and then using their art almost as a way of documenting that. But uh, isn't part of visionary art or how you, the telltale is that? There's a. It's almost like there's a, a shot, and then there's somebody staring out into the distance with a look. I mean, that seems to be uh, one of the telltale signs. I mean, you know, a lot of different visionary artists have had a lot of different kinds of styles. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the work from uh, Bekshinsky is very distinct from the work of Alex Gray, is very distinct mm -hmm. from the work of William Blake, uh, etc. But they're all considered visionary artists because they all kind of traverse the imaginal landscape, what you might call the astral realms through their own techniques and derived inspiration from that. I think that visionary art is oftentimes a way of an artist, um, yeah, documenting some kind of spiritual mystical encounter, you know, like if somebody, um, has a powerful psychedelic experience and they encounter some kind of deity or God or something like that, a, a mystical or revelatory you know, Gnostic experience and then trying to portray that in their work. And my own work is very influenced by yeah, plant medicines and psychedelics, but also my own mm -hmm. ritual work and uh, the, the, the types of experiences I've had through, say, invocation and astral travel and things like that in my own ritual practice. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, I think I see a question real quick. What yeah. do you think about transcendentalism in art? Is kind of the same thing, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's many different sort of terms to classify visionary art. Visionary art was popularized by Alex Gray, but it was also used by Carl Jung, actually, and it was uh, mm -hmm. used by Ernst Fuchs. So mm -hmm. Fuchs, Jung, and Alex Gray have kind of made the term uh, mainstream, but it's been called a lot of things, including transcendental art, including esoteric art. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's basically, it's at least similar if it's not the same. Is there a, a uh, any movies that you say this movie is one long visionary art trip that you can think of? Hollywood or anything else or... Uh, sure. I mean, The Fountain is a good example oh, of that because it explores, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, afterlife experiences. Uh, the I, I do think it's it's a work of visionary art. I mean, probably uh, Holy Mountain and, and Hodorowski's movies oh, would be oh, yeah. considered as such. There have been some movies like this movie Blueberry that that really uh, explicitly portrayed the use of shamanic plants and psychedelics uh, or enter the void. And so those are in a certain sense works of visionary art as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good call on all those great films too. All right. Well, I'm going to share your slides for those listening on audio. We will describe them to the best of our abilities, but definitely go to Jake's website or come to the YouTube. Check it out. I know uh, Sunshine Valerie will love it because she's very much into cool tarot spreads. So cool. let's check it out here. Uh, everybody can see this. Here we have uh, Jake working on something. What are you working on, Jake? This is a painting I made in 2020 after the uh, kind of onset of the whole coronavirus pandemic. And it was my way of trying to sort of imbue some light into the situation mm -hmm. by showing this is kind of an initiatory experience that we're undergoing 
something that is actually a catalyst for evolution, even though it might seem cataclysmic. Um, you know, a lot of the sort of traditional initiations, as you know, Miguel, oftentimes are involving some sort of catastrophe or cataclysm that then enables people through this sort of death and rebirth experience to step into a kind of higher evolution of their of themselves, their perceptions of the world and their consciousness. And so this painting was, uh, which is which is called The Coronation, inspired by the uh, essay of Charles Eisenstein of the same name, in which he basically made the same case that I'm trying to make visually, uh, portrays this sort of situation as being one that's actually, in a certain sense, positive and evolutionary. It's just difficult to see in this moment. And obviously, it's painful and and such, but I think that in in the long run, it may actually have a very uh, catalytic and uh, evolutionary impact on the world. Well said. So, um, is this what you tell your students and others? This may seem like terrible times, like Gandalf in that speech in Lord of the Rings. We didn't, you know, when Frodo is angry and he says, "Well, all we can do is the best we can do," but. Is that what you're yeah. telling people that this is the time for your inner artist and that magic can actually help you with depression and things are going to come together, even as it seems we're down in Hades? Well, for me, per I can only speak from my own personal experience. It's really helped to foster a period of growth for me in my life that's been very positive. You know, prior to the pandemic, I was traveling constantly. Um, and I wasn't very grounded and there were certain aspects of my life that were kind of out of balance and it's kind of forced me for the last couple of years to go inward to kind of work out some sort of issues in my life and to establish a greater sense of grounding as well as to be able to focus basically all my time and energy onto creating art and studying and practicing esoteric and uh, magic stuff, which has been really fantastic. So, um, there's i you know i won't i won't try to make some kind of trite statement like oh like if you're suffering right now don't like think of it as something bad because obviously it's been really really hard for people oh, yeah. and so that would be a you know kind of just foolish thing to say um but personally i try to choose the most empowering narrative that i can understanding the mutability of reality and how much it's influenced by the stories we tell ourselves of what's going on and I would rather choose to believe that this is something that can be positive rather than to succumb to despair and to choose a narrative in which it's just, you know, totally awful and, and, and hopeless. I don't think it is. I think we always have a choice uh, with how we see things and what we choose to do with them. Well said. Well said indeed. Well, let's go to the next slide. Uh, appropriate. We have a phoenix. Yeah, this Beautiful. was a sort of uh, collaboration with Damien Ackles, who I know has been on your mm -hmm. uh, show as well. But he created a number of talismans that he charged with his Patreon group and mailed them out to a bunch of people to kind of interpret them and to create different pieces of art with them. And I was really honored to receive from him the uh, talisman of purification, which mm -hmm. I, I then created this uh, Phoenix piece to, uh, to represent because uh, the fire purifies and, and burns away uh and i'm very attracted to the the symbol of the phoenix and always has have been awesome it's great very impressive all right and then we have the aeon and again that's what i see in visionary art the eyes are looking out people are looking straight mm -hmm. forward like they've been there they've been transformed and they see through everything and they're seeing they're looking right at you too like hey <laughs> yeah wake totally. up <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one of the kind of like consistent uh, uses of, of symbols within visionary art. Like a lot of artists kind of portray things that way. Uh, yeah, so this is part of I'm, I'm, I'm in the process right now of realizing the uh, 22 major arcana of the tarot. It's kind of like the biggest project I've ever undertaken. And I've made six of them so far, and mm -hmm. which if I maintain that pace means that I could finish it in about four years. But I'm giving myself maybe more like 10 to fully realize this project. But, you know, it could happen uh, longer or a shorter amount of time. But this is my portrayal of the Aeon. It's the Shin card of the tarot, which in the traditional uh, Rider-Waite deck is portrayed as the Last Judgment. But a lot of my um, 
inspiration uh, for the tarot is Crowley's Thoth deck and the kind of um, his interpretations of the card. And so if we are actually truly entered into a new aeon, there's a new spiritual dispensation and a new conception of what an apocalypse would be. And so this is sort of the more uh, Thelemic representation of that scenario with the, the three main Thelemic deities, Rahorquit, Nuit, and Hadit. And uh, there's some, there's a little bit of the linking to the the Last Judgment card, the the older one, because you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse here. But the Aeon typically represents sort of the um, the apocalypse or a revolution or a, a, both the, a significant end and beginning of a of a new spiritual uh, existence. Mm, great work! It's incredible. <clears throat> and here we have uh, who tell us about this one. Yeah, so this is Adjustment, uh, which is the Libra card and typically represents balance. Uh, and yeah, the, the the balancing act, it's justice in the traditional Rider Waite deck. And I was inspired to portray Ma'at, the, uh, the goddess who weighs the souls of the dead at the gates of the underworld to be the, uh, the sort of deity that I decided to portray for this card. Hmm. Goddess of Order. That's and now we got the devil. The devil. Yeah. So, uh, I decided, of course, to portray Baphomet here, mm-hmm. right. um, and, and Ishtar as well. I decided on on Ishtar and Baphomet as sort of being like uh, masculine, feminine, uh, you know, polarities. Even though Baphomet, of course, is both masculine and feminine. No. Um, but but there are uh, sort of like if you there are sort of correspondences with like Inanna and um, the horned goddess and um, the goddess of both war and fertility that do have a lot of correspondences to the Baphomet archetype as well. And, uh, you know, for me, the devil isn't something evil. The devil always has represented or, or Satan has always represented individuality, uh, revolution, uh, rebellion against authority, self-authority. Uh, sort of like the uh, the confidence in oneself, and it's something that we all kind of need, and that's the aspect of the tarot is that all of these cards are all of us, you know. And so if you if you find yourself shying away from something like the devil card, uh, it's something to look at because these are just all the different sorts of symbols of the universe, and the devil exists, and it's something to be worked with and integrated rather than to shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And then we got the fool. This is, the, yeah, the fool. I was actually, people have said it's, it's Jesus. I was actually inspired by the, by the thief in Hodorowsky's Holy Mountain, which is uh, actually that movie is one uh, of the things that inspired uh, the series when they, they go into that room and they have all the tarot cards around them in, in the circle. Uh, but I, I decided to portray Harpocrates, the babe in the abyss, uh, who is the um, the fool represents in a certain sense the the coming into form, but it's formlessness, it's an infinity, it's it's the unmanifest, and so the uh, the Harpocrates uh, Harpocrates babe kind of represents that as well, like um, the the egg, the which is also the O of the tarot, the zero, and so it's what we all start out as and how we progress through the rest of the cards is the development that we we undergo in our spiritual journey and the realization of our souls mm. well said incredible i was saying i think we had uh now we got the sun the sun yeah i mean so the work i've been doing with these tarot cards is is kind of like i'm in a certain sense, experiencing or living through the different archetypes as I, as I go through it. And it's been a really deep meditation. So they come, uh, they're, they're being created out of order. They're kind of coming through more spontaneously as I have kind of visualizations or, or awakenings as to what these uh, cards mean. But, and I've been sort of linking them to different archetypes or deities. And so the sun for me is, is most represented through Christ who is the dying and reborn god as well as osiris and so the sun is the ever-present light it never actually 
dies. And so the illusion of it going away is just the turning of the earth as it goes around. And so that's the same with these immortal gods, um, that their death was only an illusion. It it reminds us of the illusion of our own mortality, that we maybe have a flawed conception of what of who we are and therefore we have a flawed conception of what death means whereas these gods represent the continuity of spiritual life and existence and to me that's what the sun represents awesome and i think we got one more here no i think we got a couple more now we got the lovers yeah the lovers uh beautiful card i just wanted to kind of uh represent that the lovers is the marriage of opposites and it's the marriage of the aspirant and the holy guardian angel or it's the marriage of the human and the divine or the the microcosm and the macrocosm so here there's the on the left side there's sort of the dark there's these sort of demonic serpentine looking forces and on the right you have the angel and the phoenix which represent sort of the beings of light and so the lovers is about the reconciliation of those two polarities, the masculine and feminine. Basically, it was my intention with this tarot deck to try to really go deeper into the symbols of the cards because a lot of people have created tarot decks um, that are sort of just reinterpretations visually of, say, the Rider weight deck. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been really trying to uh, use the creation of these cards as an opportunity to really realize a new understanding of what the archetypes of the cards actually represent and to uh, work with them in ritual and to meditate on them very deeply, as well as to use some of the kind of more traditional attributions of the cards as referenced by Liber 777 uh, and the Book of Thoth and things like that. Awesome. And I think we got one. Here you go. I think this is the last one. Tell us about this one. So this is a, a painting I worked on for on and off four years, and it's the largest painting I've made. It's acrylic on canvas, and uh, it's about 66 inches tall with a hand-carved frame, and it's called Equanimity. And this was inspired by uh, visions that I had in ayahuasca ceremonies as well as experiences that I had in Vipassana meditation retreats. But it's trying to portray the Buddhist concept of equanimity and the dragons really represent the disturbances of our minds and our fears and she sits in the middle of the lotus flower in peace with an open heart and sort of that heart energy is what protects her from the fears the connection to her heart and the open-heartedness is what protects her from the darkness of these dragons that swirl around her. And so I think it's especially relevant. I actually finished it at the beginning of this year, and uh, it's very relevant to what's been going on in the world because we need kind of balance and equanimity more than than ever uh, for people to not succumb to hysteria, to be able to stay grounded and rooted to something higher or something deeper. Uh, and to be able to maintain that composure and open-heartedness, which allows people to then lead and to be able to actually create a better world. Beautifully said, and your artwork is stunning, and really appreciate you sharing with us that one. And like I said before, so is this Jake Cobran? Is that's where people can get your artwork, right? Yeah, this is this is like my online store. I have a website that's jakecobranportal.com, in which I have a lot of links to different offerings, and you can find my podcast there, which is on Spotify and on iTunes, and it's called the Quarantine Sessions Podcast. But it might be in need of a a new a name upgrade because I started (laughs) it right at the beginning of the the pandemic, and I feel like it's it's less relevant now, but. I uh, hope you enjoy it if you check it out. I've had a lot of amazing guests on there so far. Yeah, it's but yeah, you have a great guests, and I like your solo shows too. I think they're all great. So uh, thank you. Really good work, but we're not done here yet. Uh, before we move to the next piece of art, I wanted to show the audience events. Any questions from you or the audience? And there you have it. Oh, you spiritual entrepreneurs the first part of our show with Jake Cobran. He'll definitely get deeper into how to use art to liberate yourself from the black iron prison. As mentioned, and as a bonus for subscribers, I'll include an interview with Jake's mentor, Lawrence Caruana, on his book Sacred Codes, 
where he gets deep into visionary art, psychedelics, and a whole lot of Gnostic ascent through the spheres. The perfect complement to this podcast. Including the audio version, this is a cool listen if you leverage the private RSS feed from AV Prime or Patreon that works in the podcast provider of your choice. And yes, you can now get a simple private RSS feed through Red Circle for only $4.99 a month. Check it out in the show notes. So please become an AB Prime member or Patreon at Patreon or Red Circle subscriber for the full audio interview and to support this Red Pill Cafeteria. It will cost you less than a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever. Might be the only way to make your inner artist don't get swallowed by Mithra's abode. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.